We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONIEHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONIEHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 64. As always, joined by the three amigos, we've got Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting and Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management. Keith, thanks for dressing up for us today for the for the holiday show. I know. I've been dressed up now for a week. That's our thing at Christmas. What you guys? Rich has on his uh, brand new jumper, it seems like. Yeah. Hoodie. Yeah, I got my hoodie. I got my hoodie for Christmas. Thanks, Sandy. She spoiled me rotten, which was really cool. That's it. Mom got him a couple of pairs of underwear. <laughs> My mom got me some underwear. <laughs> did you really? You got the underoos? Yeah. Did you? Did yeah, you guys true. Did, you got underoos? Yeah. I used to get I'm the Spider-Man not, ones. They were cool. No, I didn't get underoos. Just regular. I'm not sure that was for public consumption, but hey, it's okay. We're all family here. Merry Christmas. For all everybody. the dates. Happy New Year. <laughs> oh, gosh. At least anywhere I'll be fresh. That's right, Keith. That's right. Rich, did you have a romantic Christmas? Was was it? No, not no, at all. I went, I went home. No I went dates. home to Canada, as you guys know. It's dude. It's the off season right now. It's, it's you know, it's the off season. <laughs> <laughs> Got to focus on family and Santa and Jesus, if that's your persuasion. Who knows? But it's the off. So season. when is the off season over then? In your dating, uh, like you're giving you know the world a break. For December twenty sixth. <laughs> No, let's say the first week of Jan, we'll, we'll kick back. We'll get, we'll get the motoring running again. Yeah. And like, do you have a spreadsheet created with oh you know, the God. success probability of success with your pickup the, lines and the probability and of success? I can tell you the probability of success is zero. So that's, it's very easy to model the mind of a no. CFA. That's right. By the That's way, right. Steve, when Steve, when you put zero in anything, it kind of screws up the outcome. It doesn't work. Us yeah. realtors don't know that. Um, Keith, what's what's going on with you, buddy? How was the... Yeah, we had a real nice Christmas. And, uh, you know, this time of year, I like to reflect back on, you know, how was the year? Was it fun and stuff? And, like, my main memory, I think I had about 42 Twinkies during the year. And I think about four were with the podcast. The rest were just pure fun. Another maybe 27 lemon loaves. My God, they're yummy. And maybe two barrels of Pinot Noir during the year. Oh, good. It was a, oh, a successful year for me. Yeah, congratulations, Keith. Keith. He did really well. For those listening, Keith, Keith, Keith's got a uh, very large palate. Great palate. Sophisticated <laughs> palate. We went out for dinner in Toronto, and boy, was I out of place. Oh, that was, uh, I know how to eat. Wines. I know Keith, how to eat. Keith is just disgusted. <laughs> Steve, Steve um, eats like a Neanderthal. He, used the, he uses the American style, you know, just shoveling it. Let's, uh, what are we doing today, guys? End of year conversation? Yeah, yeah we've got an end of year podcast. Looking forward, all that, yeah. Yeah, we didn't want to skip a beat here. So we, you know, um, appreciate everyone tuning in. Just a reminder, January 4th, uh, I believe that's a Wednesday, January 4th at 4.30 Pacific time, uh, there will be a live Q&A. Uh, so there's going to be a link in the description. Uh, so if you listen to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, there'll be a link in the bio description there of this week's episode. Same thing for YouTube. Uh, so you can go and sign up there for like, it's basically a Zoom 
webinar. That's the style. So basically just come on, register for the webinar. It'll be like a live Q&A. Come hang out. We'll just kind of chit chat. People will ask questions. We'll have some some drinks flowing. I think it's going to be like 1 a.m. Uh, over in the UK where Rich is. So Rich will probably be... Uh, you know, half cut for sure. And uh, yeah, we'll just have a good time. So, so, you know, go sign up for that. And um, you know, we appreciate your guys support this year. We wanted to kind of make this week's episode. Most people are, you know, enjoying family time, vacations, et cetera. There's really not a lot of news flow, right? There's not a lot happening in financial markets. We'll kind of go through a bit of that today, but also just kind of, you know, an, an outlook for 2023. I'm kind of curious what, you know, Keith, Rich, what you guys are, are looking at what what you're seeing. Uh, I've got some thoughts, obviously, on our housing market here. Things that we'll be paying attention to. So we'll just kind of do like a you know a year end wrap up, so to speak. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds sounds real fun. So we're going to do a like uh, not a wrap. You know, I'm never rapid fire with anything. I'm kind of you know <laughs> I'm moving along slowly. Is is that the process we're going to use here? Yeah, I just well, I wanted to chat. I mean, I guess a couple couple things here before we sort of get into that recap. But um, you know, I think we talked about it last week. So there's been some interesting movements. I'm kind of curious your thoughts here. Is 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 you know the Bank of Japan came out what a week ago and said, okay, we're now going to raise our our sort of uh, yield cap, our our. our where we allow bond yields to basically fluctuate, and I don't know the exact number, Keith. What was it again? They raised it from like point what two five to point five or something. Well, it used to be minus point two five to plus point two five. That was the range that they had. So they expanded it by point two five. So now it's minus point five to plus point five. You know, they they widened the range. And that created all kinds of chaos when they announced that. So you know, the stock market got clobbered. Um, the yen went went vertical, but the same equivalent amount. And by the way, everyone, that that normally happens in in a in a market. If uh, the currency moves aggressively in one direction, usually the equities will do the opposite. So that that's what happens there. Uh, so as a former foreign investor, you know you it may not affect you too much. So what you lose on the uh, FX side, you're you're picking up on the currency. Sorry, on the on the equity side and so forth. But um, this morning, is that what you're referring to? What came out this morning, Steve? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, well, I'm just kind of looking at. So yeah, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. So that so that obviously came out right, like that happened, and then if you watch what's been happening in, in sort of um, you know Canada's bond market, U.S. obviously the U.S. bond market, you know yields yields are up are up a lot uh, in the last what ten days. Um, so I'm kind of curious, like how much of that are you reading into sort of of what Japan's doing it, you know? Because at one point where the, the the narrative was okay, maybe inflation's coming down, the bond market's starting to sniff that out, yields are now falling, they they were. They fell, you know, about 100 basis points for, you know, some some parts of the curve, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we've got a reacceleration to the upside. So I'm kind of curious how much stock you're putting on that. I know we've been talking about potentially, you know, at some point the long bond is going to be a good trade. Um, kind of how you, you know, walk me through that. How you're looking at that these days? Yeah. So right now, guys, like the last week of the year. Liquidity, it's pretty volumes is pretty low, so you tend to get a lot of uh, you can get sharp movements in either direction. So I wouldn't put much stock into the last week, especially this week. So it's I mean, today's Thursday, so we got one more day left for the year. That that's it. Uh, but generally, you know, over this last week, it's been risk off again. So you know, which is you know, everyone was everyone was hoping. I mean, I keep saying hope is never a great strategy. Right, Rich. Yeah, right. We're hoping for right. yeah, first week of January to <laughs> pick it up again. Um, but guys, like this was a crappy year. But see, but the move, you know, uh, in in the bond market over the last week, I think it's just a little bit of squaring up where we are because there's no data coming out. And uh, so the Japanese news, though, though, to come back to that. Um, so like, like Japan is a completely different market. They realize because they completely try to avoid price discovery. And, you know, for everyone, you know, price discovery means you get an, an accurate price of something. The buyer and the seller, they meet and they say, yeah, this is this is what we'll agree to trade your house at or your car or, or bag of chips at the store or whatever it's going to be. And in, in Japan, because they suppressed price discovery for the bond market for so long and they finally allowed it to 
nudge a little bit closer to what reality is. It made that initial nudge. Now everyone has suddenly said, wait, it's still not truly reflective where it should be. So, uh, you know, the, the Japanese, uh, the Bank of Japan, sorry, they had to, to come out aggressively again this morning and, and not spend, you know, 10 billion to try to support the bond market. They say we're doing unlimited spending to support the bond market. So, I mean, so Japan should be high on everyone's list as a uh, potential market that even though they may contain the risk on their side, it's going to create chaos somewhere else. So that, that's the big thing with Japan this week. The other thing, well, the other thing this week that happened, again, in a week of low liquidity, and and Keith's right, we shouldn't read too, too much into it, is what's going on in China um, and how they're opening up. So we went from COVID zero to COVID um, 100, <laughs> I guess is what we would call it. I don't know. We have to think of something a little bit more pithy than that. But it's actually amazing what they've done um, to the point. I think I've, re I've read numbers of like 100 million people with COVID. I mean, yes, there's a lot of people who live in, in China, obviously, but it's just incredible. Uh, the, the headline that I thought was kind of hilarious and sad and kind of quite telling is how the, the, in, the, in the Italian authorities are now testing anyone who flies in from China. Um, and so it's amazing how far we've come and, and it's just, I mean, that, and then obviously everyone, there's people, my colleagues and former colleagues and friends of mine have been calling me asking how it's going to affect whether the oil market or the view on inflation. I don't, I don't know yet. I haven't quite figured it out, but it's something I'm thinking about, Steve. Well, it, it, it is fascinating because right now with, with China and, um, you know, things always, you know, go 360 or as someone said to me once before, yeah, I did a 360, turn my life right around, to which I would say, you know, <laughs> right back to where you started. Uh, but you remember, though, you, you, back in the early days of the pandemic, back in 2020, I think it was February, I think it was, um, I, I'm on a, one of these chat groups, and uh, guys from all over the world, and one of those the Sunday afternoon, he said, hey, guys, emergency chat call, you know, and uh, this guy was based in Milano. And he explained then that, you know, they're closing, you know, Northern Italy and everyone was running because it was ground zero. And yep. they determined afterwards that a lot of the COVID, it actually, it developed from the Chinese. I think it was workers that were coming in. That's right. I'm not quite, is that right, Rich? There's, yeah. there's a huge, there's a huge industrial base in, in Italy that is manufactured and they're either owned by Chinese companies or there's lots of Chinese workers that fly directly from Wuhan to Milan. There's like a direct flight, believe it or not. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, so that's what happened. And now all of a sudden, you know, as you're referring, Rich, over the, over the last 24 hours, they're now reporting the exact same thing again. So I think, um, you know, one of the early things to watch now, especially here in Canada, because we know how Ottawa feels about it, uh, the, the moment positive COVID cases start to escalate again, it's going to go up. I mean, we, we know that's coming. Um, I suspect some countries will be, well, they'll try to be very aggressive again with their policies towards it, and others just won't care. And I think markets may or may not shrug it off. We'll see. But as for you know the aggregate effect on the economy and stuff like that, I, th I think you know if the Chinese are back working again, it's going to be great. We'll be able to get stuff because we need stuff to do yeah. to do things. And uh, but we'll see. But I don't think it's going to be this. Um, you know, this incredible wave that's been generated that's going to, you know, ride everyone in, in, into victory and in, in, into 23. I think it's a lot more other factors coming along. But but you're right there, Rich. Like, that is one of the key things we're looking at here, uh, you know, as we chat here today. I don't want to talk too much about COVID. I'm really, really uh, interested in putting that behind us in 2023. But there's loads of interesting things that I think we could discuss. And I don't know, Steve, are we ready to do a, a little bit of a... An outlook, yeah. even though I usually hate doing those kinds of things. And my old Sorry, job, I had to do like an annual outlook and a five-year outlook. And of course, what's Mike Tyson's quote? Um, Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. So it's a, you always have to be careful with these predictions and these outlooks. But uh, it's it's fun doing it. And it's a good year-end exercise, I think. Yeah. But no, it's good because it, it gives people things to think about. And that's what the right. investment world is. You know, you're not going to be right with everything. And as long as, you know, some will say if you're 50% plus one, right, you know, so you cover your losses, you know, you minimize your your downside and you expand your upside, then, you know, that that's that's great. Uh, but the main thing with these these exercises, though, is, as Rich said, you, you, 
you get to discuss things that you know three great minds are thinking about right now <laughs> oh i don't or know maybe, i don't know about that based on maybe, the youtube comments i don't know <laughs> maybe two <laughs> maybe rich and one other i don't know which, which oh. one steve but um yeah so let, let's have a go at it and um you know i think mine and steve's might be a bit shallow and thin and rich is going to go heavy on us on on something so what do you got who's going to kick it off uh i mean are we going just predictions or just sort of outlook on the market here i think you do a bit of both yeah a little bit of both i don't know i think it's going to be uh yeah i mean i I mean i was going to chat just on like the housing front i I suppose Um, why not do it i'm curious to hear where i feel i have the most credit and sort of maybe insight that i can actually provide um yeah i think it's gonna be a lot more you know i think it's gonna be a lot it's gonna be a challenging 2023 um i think we will definitely see a, an increase in sales volumes you know you've got what we just talked about it last week over eight hundred thousand new people into the country and you've got home sales in the gta running at levels last seen in the 1990s Clearly, that's not sustainable. Um, so once you get these people, these buyers off the fences, you'll start to see transactions pick up. But I think that's you know the way to get people off the fences is for them to sort of feel some comfort and in where interest rates are going to sort of settle out, uh, which I think we have clarity on that. I think the Bank of Canada is done or maybe another 25 basis point, which is kind of what the market's expecting. And then also, you know, lower prices, lower prices ultimately will entice people back into the market. Again, it's not going to be a bull market, but I think we'll see an increase in sales volumes. It'll still be well below, I think, 10-year averages. Um, but I think the, you know, the trend here, I think is really, I think there's a lot of pain that's, that's, that's going to be felt. I think that. So rate, Steve has the, has the low lower. been, was, was the low reached in 22 or is it 23? No, no, we, we, we get the low, the low, I think the low will be in 2023. Um, I don't know. Which month? Yeah. <laughs> which day? Which I, neighborhood I in Kitslano? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know when I'm, I, I I'm really struggling with like the when and the how, like it just depends. Run us through your your thought process. Like give us a, give us some, like sometimes when I'm trying to think of not predictions, but I often, I try to set myself either signposts or things that I'm looking Mm. forward and looking for that will help me confirm or deny sort of my view. What are the sort of the, let's say two or three things that you're looking to see that will confirm your view or change your view or, or, or blow it up or all together or whatever. Um, the big one would be, I think mortgage rates with a five handle in front of it are just, they're too high. The market can't absorb those, those rates in, especially in Vancouver and Toronto. Those are the two markets. So like, I mean, Calgary's absorbing them and more or less just fine. Um, so that's the, that's the market. I think the other thing you'll be looking for is like, what are inventory levels looking like come March, April? Cause that's your typical busy listing season. So are we going to get new listings back to where they should be around a 10 year historical averages? Or are they going to continue to run at 20 year lows, which they have been over the last you know six months? Um, so if you get like the normalized inventory levels, into a spring market where let's say demand is weaker than it normally is, then you all of a sudden you're talking about excess inventory that starts to build and puts more downwards pressure. Because again, it's hard to get people to cut their prices when there's no other neighbors for sale in the neighborhood. They're like, well, I've got no, I've got no competition. Why would I cut my price? But all of a sudden, if you know, John down the road sells his house for, you know, two less cause he's in a panic to get out of there. Um, then it sort of starts to reprice the neighborhood. There's actually the, they say that typically you need three comps, three recent sales comps to actually reprice the neighborhood. So if one guy, if there's like a one-off sale where some guy panics, doesn't typically reset the neighborhood, you typically need three people to reset it. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm watching. I think- And you mean, and the, you mean neighborhood, name, sorry to interrupt you, but you mean neighborhood as in like sort of, of not like a, sort of like a several block radius type thing, right? Like, yeah, like what, like what, yeah, exactly. Like what's your sales comp, right? So if like, you know, in Keith's neighborhood, like, you know, which is like the glitz of, of, <laughs> of Halifax, like in that little pocket, if there's a similar house that, you know, okay, three cool. of them that, that sell at a certain number that will reprice Keith's house. Just to be clear, there's only one house in my neighborhood. That's it. <laughs> on top of the hill, surrounded yeah, by right. a moat. 
<laughs> By the way, what's like Steve lives rent free. I live rent free in Steve's head. I think that's what's yeah, going that's, on. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I find that interesting, and I think everything gets tied together in the real estate, economic, financial world. And so you can't have a separate view on the housing market and a, a you know, an offsetting view on the economy. I think it's all going to be completely linked together. Um, I have a so question for you. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think? Do you do you think there can be disconnects in like the equity markets versus like the housing market? Because I always look at it and say, well, could the S and P five hundred perform relatively okay while Canadian housing drops? You know, another ten percent this year. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think right? so. equities like equities can go completely in a different direction than the real world. Because okay, children, the stock market is not the real world. You know, that's the thing to, <laughs> what? To think about. <laughs> no, I want to get the CFA suit's going to call me and like suspend me or something. Because um, that's kind of my view, right? I, I don't know. I'm not. I mean, I'm definitely. I still. I would still be. Well, negative. that can all happen. Because remember as well, I keep going back to the whole concept that that the world has never before been in this situation where. Everyone is coming off ground zero with rates. The debt loads have grown exponentially during that period. And like everyone's on under living on edge in terms of economically and stuff like that. So we, we can definitely have a like a bizarre marketplace where equities are going in a direction that just not it doesn't reconcile with the way you've been told that you should be thinking. Mm. So what, so for my big thing for next year, that that's coming up and you know what, but my mind doesn't, we don't work in absolutes, you know, it's, it's in the probability range. And in, in our view, our base case scenario is that we are going in into a recession. And so, whereas a lot of other places are, that's not their base base case. The base case is maybe a slowdown, low probability of recession if we get this recession that I suspect we're going to get, it's it's going to be hell for the real estate market, uh, for residential as well. And um, to, so that's the base case to look at. A lot of recession models that we use, they're, using, they're based off the U.S. economy, which is incredibly dynamic, more, dyna- more dynamic than any other economy around the world. So the Canadian economy can have something a little bit different than the American experience. But I'm seeing, as I know I shared with you guys this morning, two different models. One was showing that, yeah, the recession is guaranteed. Another one is showing that it may not even happen. Um, so again, that's the kind of world we're in. So with, with that premise as my base case, we are going into recession. Um, one, one of my expectations for 23 is that the, the stock market, all right. So you want to depend. It doesn't matter which one you you use because correlations go to one in, in every you know major event. Um, we we suspect that equities could come down another twenty five percent during Q one Q two. We don't know if it's a gradual trickle lower or you get a couple thumps along the way. But we've never had a period where so so Ned Davis is one of our research providers. They, they did some great work uh, just recently, but they show that. Equities never bottom before a recession begins. It always bottoms a little bit. And remember, recession data, though, it's in hindsight. It's not real time. So that's why people think equities there, they do bottom before, but that's not the case. Um, so, and, and the you know the average correction, um, it, sorry, the range has been from minus 13% back in the 50s to about minus 53 back in 08, 09. So it's a pretty big range what the correction has been. Um, so when I say, hey, we could get another 20, 25% lower in the equity markets, that, that's sort of the first volley I'll give to everyone here. So don't be surprised if we get more equity market weakness. If that happens, then I, I can see equities just doing a slingshot higher after that. And it could be like a 50% or 40 or 60 or, or something like that. So then you're trying to get time, trying to time that bottom is going to be pretty difficult. Um, however, that's the path that we're, we're expecting. And, um, you know, the path that we just went down in, in 22, like we were, we were pretty accurate with that. Like we, we had a pretty good year uh, performance wise. Yeah. We, we've, we've done pretty well. And um but we're starting to see a continuation of, of that wave going into next year. So that's my first 
forecast, I guess, you know, is that equities have not bottomed yet, maybe Q1, Q2, and then, you know, slingshot higher based on we're going into recession. And that's the key thing, because if we do hit a recession coming up, it, it, it's just going to... It's just going to swarm a lot of other markets. What, how about you, Rich? What do you uh, What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I got, I got, um, I got three of them, and we can we can hit one at a time, obviously, and and we'll I I just, we go back and forth. Yeah, shoot. Sorry. Can I just chime in quickly? Um, I think it's important to like contextualize here because you're just reading like a lot of the comments, whether it's on Twitter or YouTube or whatever. And there's like a lot of people. I'm like, you know, we chat with people at our events and like. I think there's a lot of people out there that are, are generally like wanting to learn. Uh, are generally wanting to maybe be better investors or manage their money a little bit better or understand like the, where the risks are. And then you have like the cohort of people that I find are just like looking for like who, this someone to forecast and and be be right. And it's not about like being right. It's just about understanding like the risks and 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 figuring out where the probabilities lie and and ultimately you know protecting that capital. Right. So it's like these forecasts should never be looked at as like, well, you said this and then this happened and you were wrong. It's like you're going to be wrong at least 50% of the time. It's more of like when you're right, like how much are you capitalizing on when you're right and how much are you losing when you're wrong? That's really what it's about. So guys, stop looking for, for us to, you know, forecast or for anyone for that matter, you know, following people to, because you're hoping to get like the right answer, I think is the wrong way to look at it. I think we're just trying to sort of expand people's horizons and, and, you know, provide some insights where we can, but we will and have been and continue to be wrong in some circumstances. Um, that's well said, um, Steve. I, I'd also say we've also been very right about certain things, but let's, well, let's, the, let's, reason, let's... the reason why I bring that up is like the one energy. thing that was like the one thing that always like kind of brings you back. And like Keith were chatting, but Keith and I were chatting with this offline. Like, there's like this account that was like, I remember, like, I'll never forget. He's like on Twitter and you know, he's like digging up like some of my old tweets where I'm like, oh, wrong, wrong, wrong. And then he went and then he tracked down like Keith, like, no, but you don't chirp Keith, guy's like the nicest guy ever. And he like pulled out some of Keith's tweets where like Keith was like wrong on some, some I think it was like on rates or something. And I was like, who cares? Guys, the <laughs> guy's year to date performance is positive. Like who cares if he's got like, like people in just, a world where scary. everyone else is negative, by the way, to put that into context, not that yeah, this it's is insane. Like, it's like, doesn't not matter. Like, let's Keith just talk about, too much. <laughs> no, let's just talk about like performance. It doesn't matter. Right. Like, People I think, are be uh, yeah, like, yeah it's a good point, Steve. Thank you for the kind words. And um, I think, just think today, and I've said this before, the world is so squished together that creates really good opportunities to structure your portfolio, to consider all of these risks that are out there. And that's what we talk about. And and again, in like in in our world, like when, when if you're in if you're in that world, managing money in a, in a sort of global macro way, you always deal with probabilities and there's never a zero 1% probability like in, in the market space. And as long as you're thinking about that risk, because because the thing that a lot of people get wrong is that they believe if if a risk doesn't happen, it wasn't risky to start with. Right. And, and that's not the case at all. So why else would you have car insurance, house insurance and, and stuff like that? But uh, again, I think that's why you have these great opportunities coming up. So um, yeah, so okay. Rich, let's, what let's, do you yeah, see there? So I think magic. The, so, I like the you know. See, remember Magic Eight Ball says. Do you remember those? <laughs> I I love that. That was a great toy. Um, I got them in a, in a stocking one year. But anyway, so one of one of the themes that started I think in 2021, um, and I think will carry through to the end, or at least hopefully until the end of 2023, is sort of rotation. I wrote a note on it. Um, you can find it on my Substack probably. Uh, but I wrote a note on it. It's called. And I, the title of the note was rotation, rotation, rotation. And it's a theme. And I, and when I outlined three portfolio construction rotation themes that I think are, are have, um, has worked out the way I expected. But the reason I bring is not, that's not why I'm bringing it up because I think that there's still more, you know, juice in that lemon. And I think that the, one of the rotations is, for example, from value to growth. Sorry, from, oh, shit, I screwed that up. From growth to value. So that was like a very, very important like portfolio construction consideration. You have different types of styles, factors, sectors, and obviously you have country allocation when you're thinking about investing from an institutional standpoint. And, and I know Keith thinks about these things too. And one of the major rotations we saw last year 
was away from growth. So growth is just broad strokes here is like tech names, consumer discretionary stocks that are very highly levered, expensive, away from away to uh, towards value, which might have been energy. You could you throw banks in some of those cases, in some cases, some financials, consumer staples, stocks. And I think that we're starting, we saw a massive um, outperformance of value relative to growth in 2022. And one of my key themes for 2023 is the continued continuation of that. Um, and then, so, and so, yeah, and, and we'll, we'll obviously see related to that is sort of cyclicals versus defensives. So a similar theme related in some ways, but again, if you think that there's a slowing, there's, the economy is slowing, you think that there's a recession, I think that the defensive sectors, and these include um, healthcare utilities, um, consumer staples, um, and then et cetera, you can Google that. Um, the thing that you're going to see a continuing outperformance of defensives versus cyclicals. So cyclicals might be, you know, again, um, you know, you might consume consumer discretionary or whatever. But, and so I think that that's a really, really important sort of change. And there's another rotation that I think is going to manifest itself. And I'm curious to see if Keith can push back on this. And it's going to be away from the US equity market towards global ex-US. And I think that that's something that's been sort of people have been predicting for a long time and have been getting it wrong. But we're finally, finally starting to see the, the change in leadership. And so the reason the US did so well is because it has a, a number of tech names and a number of consumer discretionary names. So Tesla, Apple, Amazon, the list goes on and on. And those have had a significant, they're retrenching and they retraced the math, almost all of the gains that we've seen over the last two years. And I think that coupled with, you know, the rest of the world being so cheap and interest rates going up, um, I think that we're going to start to see the beginning of sort of the end of the U.S. leadership. Now, there's been times that this has happened before from 2000 to 2003 or four, you had Europe and the rest of the, um, the world outperform It happened again, sort of again in the late 2000s. So they, these things do, ha these do happen. You have a cyclical, you have like a rotation from one country to another or one sector to another. And that's, so that's one really big theme that I'm, I'm really, really keeping an eye on. And then I'll, maybe we should do this like a snake draft. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just pass on to do my another one and we can get back to, to Keith. On the way. And then the other thing that I think is really important is from an economic standpoint. So the first one was sort of a markets thing. The second one was from inflation to disinflation. And that's just something we can't sort of ignore. There's been so much talk about inflation this last year. We've talked about it at nauseum. And what disinflation is, is just falling inflation. So your, your number is still positive, but instead of the chart, instead of the line on the chart going up, the line on the chart is going down towards what the target is. And so again, you know, Keith said, you know, if you have a sort of a worldview or a construct of how you think are, things are going to play out, they have to be, um, they have to coincide, they have to make sense logically. So if you think that there is going to be a recession, well, it's highly likely that you're going to have some kind of disinflationary impulse. Um, and, and so that that's one of the, where I agree with Keith, I think things are really slowing. And then there's a high probability of that happening. I think the math is very clear on the disinflation, which is I think you're just going to start seeing all of these CPI curves that they haven't already peaked. They're going to start peaking and they're going to start to come down. I think that's important, uh, Rich, yeah. is just from the because I mean, you're I know you're running the data, right? Like, I mean, that's your, that's your whole job is like. And so I think we've chatted about like rate of change quite a bit. And right. so are you are your models or is your is your data still suggesting like from a rate of change perspective that inflation is going to continue to roll over again doesn't mean prices are going to get cheaper but they're going to stop going up as fast as they were and they're not going to go up nine ten percent a year right. they're going to go up one two three four percent a year um where are you seeing are you modeling where inflation is going to sort of level out is it going to come back down into the threes the fours back uh, down to yeah, two no. I do not like to make a forecast because I think people get married to their forecasts. I think you, you start to defend your forecast instead of think about what the right answer is, which is true. similar. And so you, and that's a dangerous game to play. And I think it gets you really into trouble. But I, mean, I, I think, think it Canada, also, guys, it also demonstrate Rich's fear of commitment. No, See what I mean? no. Anyone, anyone on Tinder is listening to this. Oh my god! No, I just listen. Uh, you, you totally, I'm off my game now. Um, I mean, I think you're gonna. It's you know, there's a way I would. Whenever things are very low and they go up, everyone talks about base effects. So I remember in 2020, 
you know, inflation was starting to rise. And anybody who disagreed with the inflation narrative, Bank of Canada, said, oh, it's about base effects, about base effects. And that's a fancy way of saying, you know, the 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 number, the rate of change in, is is really high because you're you're not you're where your starting point might be low. And the same thing, by the way, is true when you're when you're coming off. And so what we're seeing now is, you know, inflation in Canada, the core inflation is 5.8. And my models, whatever you want to call it, say, you know, we're still going to be in the fours by the end of next year. And, and that's a significant sort of decline, but it's still well above target. And I think that's a really, really important. So that's the disinflation piece, right? You're, you've off that peak impulse, but we're still well above target. And, and, and that's, again, back to this transitory negative that I always thought was bullshit. I mean, this is the, that piece. You're well above um target and that, and that's really hard to sort of it's really hard to get out of that lane given the constraints we have with just purely the math which is amazing though like if you're still sort of modeling again it could be wrong you know decent probability of that but as of right now you are modeling that core cpi in canada will still be in the fours by the end of next year y yeah and yeah, I don't know I what mean, the Bank of Canada, isn't the Bank of Canada saying headline inflation by the end of 23 will be back down to two? There's no, I will bet. I mean, but that's what that's what I'll like, bet anybody who's listening yeah. a beer. <laughs> I, I, I'll bet them a beer that that's not happening. I, it's, it, it's just that it's, it's not that it's like impossible. Listen, if there's a media, again, you know, to quote Mike Tyson, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Like something could happen that could dislodge all of this stuff. I mean, if there's a meteor that hits Ottawa, who knows what inflation will do. But I mean, my point is just it's, it's about probabilistic. It's about what the distribution of potential outcomes is. Are is, and you can Se see severe recession. Yeah, that's. I guess it's possible. I just think it's the numbers are such that it's hard for that to happen. And and I guess that's why I'm pretty confident that that number is going to remain quite high. Okay. Keith, you want to chime in on that? I'm curious your thoughts. Uh, it's. I mean, do you have a strong, so, have a strong view on, 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 you know, inflation or disinflation or, you know, no, not, not really. I, I think it's the numbers will come down. I, I do understand the way the maths work with it. So the numbers will continue to come down. If we go into recession, that will allow the inflation data to get a little bit weaker still. Um, but it sort of ties in. And one of my thoughts is that, um, you know, if we get a lull in commodity prices coming up, which is, you know, what we suspect, especially on, on the oil side. Um, I, I think that stuff can sort of follow equity markets when, when they when they slingshot higher as well. And then we'll be back into this whole inflation drama again. So I, I think 23 is going to be, uh, you know, another year. year like that. Yeah. Volatility. Yeah. So I, I understand what Rich is saying. I do agree with it. I just think that, we just got to be careful with the whole. People are so focused on inflation data now, solely in the investment world, solely for one reason. It's yeah. because it, it's going to give them a guide to when central banks are going to pause what they're doing. And that's that's all all of this. Otherwise, uh, you know, headline inflation data it, it never reconciles, you know, with what we're paying for stuff. You know, when you go to the go to the shop and everything. But that, that's the key thing. So I do suspect it'll get weaker. And then the markets are going to anticipate the central banks will have to you know do this pivot they keep talking about. But uh, it's not a big thing on, on our radar right now. I, I'll go back. I have another point. Another can I, can I chime in quickly? Here. But yeah, but it, it is your turn next. Like, what, what do you have? Well, Steve? no, as I was, Keith, I kind of want to ask you, as I'm sure the audience is probably wondering. So do you foresee, so let's say Rich, you know, we've talked about this basically throughout the show here today, which is okay. I think we're all in agreement that recession is more or less likely the, the, the severity of the recession is what's sort of up in the air at this point. Keith, you think there's a potential for a more severe recession? Keith and Rich is saying, well, you know, core CPI in Canada will still sort of probably more or less maybe hover in the fours. Do you, do you foresee a situation like in, in your sort of maybe forecasts or outlook that the central banks ease, do they ease into inflation still being relatively elevated because of liquidity issues, uh, financial systemic concerns? How do you foresee that potentially playing out uh, in 23? I, so I think it's an extremely low chance central banks ease if we just go into a normal economic cycle. That, that's it. The only way, in my view, the only reason they would 
start cutting rates is if we go back to another severe crisis again. But at, at that point in time, it's going to be different because they'll have to decide do they want to rescue their currency? Because if you start cutting rates aggressively, and you, because your country or economy is experiencing a crisis, and you're the only one experiencing it, the moment you start cutting rates, uh, your, your currency will just you know drop like a stone. But if everyone is experiencing it, you, you, you know you go back to this 2020 scenario where everyone's cutting rates at the same time. So if there's no crisis, you know no rate cuts, it, it's going to it'll be. I think the average is was it five eight months? You know the before they would start to change rates again. And that's what everyone, again, that's what the market is expecting right now. And whenever the, the market expects something, you should expect something different to occur, right? That That's the way uh, it's going to move. So again, for everyone, don't expect the Bank of Canada and if they do a rate hike, you know, in, in January, and then in April, they start cutting again. I mean, that's not going to happen unless there's a, you know, a major crisis out there. Like the Canadians start winning or something. Oh, come on. We're, we got a tank for Bedard. Is that his name? What's his name? Steve? I forgot. Connor, the kid Connor is amazing. Bedard. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Yeah, he's we're, we're, I want a tank. Oh, I want the Canadians to lose. God, for, I can't believe I said that out loud, but it's true. <laughs> okay. What do you have, Steve? What do you have another uh, thought for 23? Uh, I mean, I guess maybe continuing on that theme, I think, you know, yields, you know, bond yields anyways, which are correlated to mortgage rates. Uh, I think mortgage rates are going to come down. I, I I don't think they're going to come back down levels that are going to be bullish for the housing market. Um, you know, I think we're in the, we're still in the fives right now. We, we were seeing a little bit in the fours if you got into an insured mortgage in, in recent weeks, which is something we haven't seen in many, many months. Um, but I think mortgage rates, I think next year, more or less for most of the year, I think are going to be probably in the fours, maybe in the low fours. But even mortgage rates in the low fours is is still, I think, a bit of a headwind for the housing market. So that's kind of my, my I guess, my Especially forecast. if there are job loss. I mean, if there are job losses coming yeah. up, which is what happens, recession or like no bonuses or wage hikes, then... I mean that that's soft as well. In that, my that's world, a, that's, a, that's a very good clarification because I've had people be like, oh, "How is that like you know, you, you're you're just trying to pump?" No, I'm saying like, the only way to get like rates lower, right, is like a weakening economy, and um, and that that will coincide with job losses. So it, it might be good if someone has a steady job and they have a mortgage coming up for renewal, then they'll be able to renew at you know not five but four point two. And, um, but it's not necessarily going to be great for people selling their houses. So, so that's also, um, can I jump in there? Sorry, can I jump in there? Because that reminds me of my theme. Sorry, Keith, I know I'm biting you, but my theme is the great reset. I think that's something related to Steve's point, which is why I had to jump in there, which is we haven't really seen the full effect of interest rate hikes. And I think one of the themes for 2023 on my radar is how that finally starts to feed in because whether it's you know friends of mine whose mortgages are about to go up by a thousand keith you mentioned a couple of months ago that your friend's mortgage had to jump significantly that's just the housing sector what about uh, non-financial corporations that have new bond issuance at much much higher rates so that's sorry i need i'm sorry i interrupted oh. you but it's it's just, i think it's related to that piece Here's this. So I guess so. I mean, mortgage delinquency rate in Canada is at point one four percent. That's the that's an all time record low. Now, however, this is a very much a lagging indicator. Um, you know, first of all, um, because bank bank reporting requirements. Uh, so some mortgages aren't reported as delinquent until they are 180 days late. Uh, so this is certainly not a leading indicator, but mortgage delinquency rate as of today is at all time record lows. And we know that's going higher. Yeah. Usually when you get to three months, that's when you have to start, you know, thinking about it. Uh, but the other side of the, the, you know, the mortgage coin, um, instead of looking at it in terms of the, the demand for mortgages, you also have to look at it on the supply side. And, and, and again, if we go into this, my base case view, uh, banks are going to be less willing to extend credit, to give people mortgages. Uh, they always will, of course, but it'll be at their price. And so, you, so you, Steve, you suggested maybe rates won't go too much higher. In, in my mind, if we hit a recession and it's a bit deeper than what's expected, uh, you know, the credit spreads offered by the banks on mortgages could actually be higher 
So, um, and again, it, it doesn't mean it happens, but if, again, everyone needs to be keenly, acutely aware of where the economy is headed. And don't just look at Canada all the time because the re- recession can get triggered from anywhere because we are in this global world, you know, it sounds, you know, cliche and everything, but it, it really is. Um, so the next thing that I want to introduce is the same concept. And, and again, I keep going, you know, from an investment management perspective, everything is tied together. So, you know, now, like my view is that, hey, you know, the economy could roll over here. You then have to look at two things. One is earnings expectations. So for people that think that earnings drive stock prices and, and all that, you know, stuff, um, right now, you know, prices have come down with, with markets, but earnings estimates are, are still pretty high. And the way the cycle works with earnings, analysts take their estimates based on guidance from companies and company guidance a year out is, is always optimistic. You know, you're never going to say, yeah, we're not going to grow that well. So if like one chart that we call, we call it the squiggles. I don't know if you know that one, Rich, when I say that. So you see the earnings estimate for a quarter over time, how it moves. And it always starts, it goes up high first and then oh, starts yeah, to come yeah, down. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. We can share that chart. I know exactly which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I call it the squiggles. And, um, but that's going to happen. But right now, er- earnings estimates, like they're, they're really high. And if there's no recession, if we get a, just a slowdown, earnings estimates, they're still going to come down 8 to 10% from the current levels. This is on the S&P 500 operating earnings. So they're going to come down. If we get a recession, earnings could come down 25% or more. I mean, that's the type of thump. So then, you know, then that's when you go back to the whole valuation argument. And, you know, that's where Rich and I differ. Like, I'm not a big believer in, you know, something is cheap because you're basing something cheap that's based on an earnings estimate, which is based on, you know, something that may or may not be there. But then the other side of this from a market perspective, because remember, I'm, I'm not, we're not a firm believer in that earnings are going to drive stock price. We think other factors will drive them. But what the market that earnings will drive will be in the corporate bond world. So you have to break that down between high quality bond issuers or investment grade, as we would call it, and then the high yield space. And if we start to see earnings estimate come down, know in into next year then i i think the the opportunity for the corporate bond market or credit markets in general you want to call it i think it could be another real tough year and they're probably down i don't know the number here now maybe rich you can find it but uh like investment look at lqd maybe rich the uh that that's probably down 15 percent for the year 20 percent i'm not quite sure uh I don't remember off, offhand, but uh, we, we could have that kind of a scenario again. And then you go back and say, why are earnings coming down? You know, they come down for two reasons. One is top line growth is coming down, but the other is, is, is the margin impact. And everybody, we all know now that the cost of everything is going up. So we're paying more for stuff. Companies have to pay more for stuff, but one of their biggest input costs are wages. So if wages now, because remember, it's a lagging indicator. Everyone got pay increases. The pay increases that come into effect next year it's because of what's happened this year. So again, we're just coming into this world next year where I think government bonds could do quite well, you know, if it is a, a recession, because, you know, that will get bid. But the corporate bond market, like, my God, that could be two years in a row where it's, hey, like <laughs> the bond market. What do you got, Rich? Yeah, so LQD, which is an ETF that you guys can all track on, um, is down... Um, Almost, yeah, 20% exactly. And then there's the, the correlate. That's a US investment grade bond that you guys, I track all the time because it's just something you got to, it's, it's nice. It's an ETF. It's, it's liquid. It's What's the yield on that bad boy right now? Oh boy, you got me. I'd have to, I think you got to check. It's probably very high actually. It's, um, the yield, well, it's, it's a dividend yield. So it's not technically the same as the yield to maturity. Right. But the dividend yield on this ETF right now is about four, 3.8%. The other one, sorry, just to round this home, is the HYG, which is the high yield. So the same type of instrument. And that is yielding 6.4%. And that one is down, oh, geez, I don't know. I can do this quickly. No, oh, it's just little, curious. I just uh, another. It's probably one point. Sorry, if I can do this. So, so what's interesting all this stuff? You know, you get you get these yeah, cyclical 15%. movements, and if say equities come down in Q1 and Q2, and 
you know, high yield will follow it down because high yield, yeah. it, it's just a real sneaky way for bond managers to get equity exposure. But that, that's all it is because high yield has a, has a high correlation with equity markets when equities are going really well or very poorly. So uh, just as I said earlier, you know, we could get a slingshot move in equities next year. If that environment starts to play out and there and there's not a lot of defaults taking place in, in the high yield sector, then, then that market could slingshot higher as well. And that's my point that like no matter how you know great or bad the world is in terms of financial markets, there's always a place out there where you, you can do things. And I know, Rich, last week you, you mentioned that he you need to always be invested in stuff like that. Um, you know, we differ with that view. We, we that view is correct for institutional managers right. but for individual clients and that's what we manage money for uh we will always use cash as, as a tool or a weapon maybe yeah but uh you know it's it's coming up but that's the next thing you know you you know again see how like the economy is going to affect equities and commodities the inflation stories on top and uh credit markets as well well it's something that people should know so you what you were describing is sort of the capital structure of a given financial, sorry, given company, uh, whether they're non-financial corporations or financial corporations, you have sort of the lowest risk, lowest cost, and high priority in, in a liquidation event. So when you go bankrupt, who gets paid first is senior debt. Then you have something called subordinated debt, or I mean, you can call it mezzanine debt or whatever. And and then from there, you've got, you know, convertible or equity, and then you've got preferred equity, and then you've got common equity. So the common equity is the highest risk, the highest cost from a financing perspective, and the lowest priority in liquidation. So if your company goes bankrupt, and you need to liquidate all your assets, those are the people who get paid the last. And commensurate with that risk is your return. And so the high yield corporate bonds are trying to <laughs> have it both ways. They want that yield they want to be paid if things go bad but they also want the returns of that common equity structure uh, who, who what happens and but that's what keith was referring to which is called the capital structure of a company sorry steve I'm kind of curious uh you know on keith you're talking about sort of forward earnings and expectations and i'm really curious to see like what the retail sales come out uh for the month of this november or december um it's just it seemed anecdotally anyways, everyone I kind of talked to was like, yeah, we spent like less at Christmas this year. And then like, then you see the pictures and the lineups at the malls for boxing day and holy moly, it was packed. I think people were talking about like record boxing day sort of activity levels. And so I'm kind of curious, is that like, is that people just like literally spent like way less at Christmas because they needed the deals that were coming, uh, out of Boxing Day, or or is the consumer maybe more resilient than we're being led to believe? And does that bolster the case for you know higher for longer rate rate uh, interest rates? Like, I'm really really curious how that data sort of comes out. Yeah, I, I don't have a strong view on the holiday because like Boxing Day shopping, it's always crazy. Anyway, by the way, I haven't been to a shopping mall in 18 years, probably. So Come it's, on. it's, 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 you just, Mrs. You Ice Mrs. Cap, Ice Cap does, does all the shopping. Come on. Shame yeah. On you. She's, she, yeah, she buys yeah, her own Christmas gifts. She buys her own Christmas gifts. No, no, but, uh, <laughs> I'm not the big, you know, the anecdotal for shopping is the other way as well. You know, you always remember, you know, an asset can be supported by debt. So even though shopping has been strong, as you know, you, as a, you know, a proper analyst, you're going to look at retail sales, but you also have to look at credit card growth and, and stuff like that on, on the banking side. So, you know, you can max out your cards as much as you want and retail sales look great during that environment. But, you know, you're right, see, like we'll start to see a lull. And another big thing as well, I think we mentioned this a few months ago, um, you know, I, I know anecdotally, uh, you know, some pretty large companies, you know, their inventories are just, you know, bloated. You know, so they, they got to blow this stuff out. And that's the sign of a recession coming, right? They order too much in anticipation of a growing economy. No, I said it didn't grow as fast or as quick as they thought. But uh, um, so, what did you buy, Steve, on Boxing Day? Well, it was, was a snow, say, snow shovel, right? You needed a snow shovel. Let's look at the uh, ch uh, chartered bank credit card loans. Uh, they're up. They're up in a big way in Canada uh, in the last several months. So clearly, people are 
yeah, I think you're starting to struggle and, and tapping onto those credit cards. So maybe that again, that, that could be what's driving some of the boxing day stuff is just adding on more credit card debt, which ultimately is a, a tough, tough way to sort of get pinholed. Um, yeah, I don't wait, I, wait, let me just interject there, Steve. What's fascinating about that particular point that you're making, which is true, which is as mortgage rates and mortgage lending has come off credit card lending has started to rip. But even though, but remember, we know in, uh, we know the retail sales per capita in Canada are have start have stalled. So people are borrowing more just to keep up with. Do you know what I mean? With the, with their they're not act. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's a weird kind of contrast, right? There there means somewhere their 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 sort of dis, real disposable income, let's say, is clearly being affected whether it's because of inflation, whether it's because of uh, maybe they're losing their, I mean, we know job losses haven't started in Canada, but there's, it's fascinating to, to see, to contrast those two data points, which is falling real per capita retail sales with much, much higher credit card uh, lending. Well, I mean, the, yeah, exactly. The reality is, is like they can't, you can't tap your home equity line or you can't refinance your home in this environment. So you're switching over to the credit card to basically yeah. spur more spending, uh, which is interesting. So it, you know, it seems still very, very early in terms of the sort of credit cycle for the Canadian consumer and to sort of see where it all sort of settles out. Um, but it's going to be really interesting 2023. Um, I don't know. I think, I think that's, that's, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I don't know if you, if you guys have any sort of, you know, further thoughts or interjections or any last comments here as we head into I the have year. a, uh, an end of year Super Bowl prediction. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah, you did it last year. year. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, uh, San Francisco 34 and, uh, you know, the, the Bills mafia, Buffalo Bills 24. They're going to lose again in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Aren't they 0 for 4? They are 0 for 4. Yeah. They'll be in, in Arizona this year. So anyway, yeah, we got the playoffs starting in a couple of weeks. And sensing it's, a little uh, bias. Are you going to Arizona if, if they make no, it? No, I'm not biased with that. That the uh the, this team's defense is unbelievable. So um am I going to the Super Bowl? Uh I would only go under two conditions. One, the team I like is playing, and two, someone can find me tickets. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. Say, two, two must be a bull market. You know, it's like you know, if a family of four went to the Super Bowl this year, I bet you you're going to pay um, at least twenty to twenty five thousand USD. But don't we know there's a recession coming? Not a nothing. It's important, Steve. So it was kind of ironic, right? Just say Buffalo, they do get to Super Bowl. And I don't know if you've ever been to Buffalo before I have, and it's a fun place. But um I like I'm not seeing a lot of economic success there. So um that's like that, that, credit that's like card that, usage is gonna be going up for, for those. That's guys like that, that's it. like that meme that was circulating on Twitter there was like you know, the cheapest Taylor Swift ticket at any concert in our upcoming world tour was like three thousand dollars someone was like we need to raise more rates more <laughs> it's insane so uh yeah i don't know maybe this is a new sort of inflationary world that we live in which is people are splurging on experience well, but super bowl is different it's supply and demand so there's only about seventy thousand tickets however i bet you there's only about 10 to twelve thousand are actually available to purchase you know the rest are already know scooped up they're never going to trade so then you get you know four hundred thousand people they're trying to chase these 10 or twelve thousand tickets it's like the japanese bond market right something like that in a a reverse way yeah yeah absolutely okay uh yeah we're just getting lined up for 23 i like that (laughs) enthusiasm Good. So, Steve, uh, obviously, you're not in Vancouver there right now. I can see some palm trees, water behind you and palm no springs. Snow. Yeah, the show must go on. So, um, yeah, we're just gonna gonna hit the golf course here after this uh, recording. So, you know, we appreciate everyone's support. Like I said, we wanted to continue to pump out the content while um, 
you know, while we're, while we're here during the holidays to give you guys some uh, easy listening and hopefully some forecasts, please don't hold it to us, but it'll be interesting to sort of, you know, turn back the clock 12 months from now and see how we did. Um, but either way, I think we can all agree that 2023 will be a year, another year, unfortunately, of volatility and opportunity that comes with that. So uh, hopefully you guys can continue to, to sort of tune in and we can sort of be you know, a voice or a guide to try to sort of navigate through the the mess. And, uh, you know, we continue to appreciate your support. Uh, looking forward to everybody, you know, coming to the, the live Q&A webinar. Again, there'll be a link below. That'll be next week, January the 4th. And uh, we're just happy to sort of engage with the community, answer some questions and, and have a little bit of fun. So uh, as always, we'll see you next week.